It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we are coming to you from New York, heard around the country, around the world. We have so much to discuss today. We know the uh, Kevin McCarthy's going to have a press conference at some point. Uh, that'll be taking place. We know the Uyghurs are going to be demonstrating in Washington uh, in front of the uh, in front of the White House. Uh, to they're, they're trying to get some help because the these Chinese Uyghurs are being uh, tortured uh, in China, and it doesn't seem like anybody cares. They're going to be outside the State Department, I should correct myself, Uh, but we care, and hopefully that'll come up in Alaska today because in Alaska is where the the Secretary of State, as well as uh, his advisor, will be meeting with their counterparts over in uh, China, and they're going to set these uh, tough standards for our relationship going forward for the next four years. Uh, We'll discuss that with Jonathan Ward, and uh, Frank LaRose will be with us too. He is the uh, he is the uh, 51st Ohio Secretary of State, and we always love being on and listening to and knowing that WHIO listeners are out there too in Dayton. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. The question to President Biden starts with: Do you think the governor should resign, or do you think there should be a review first? And the president said there should be a review. I agree with him on that. I'm not going to resign. And then he went on to say, and if he's found guilty, that he he could be prosecuted. Cuomo holds on for now, the governor of New York, as he goes in goes uh, to the one place that still looks at him as a hero, Harlem. Meanwhile, a whistleblower brings us inside the scandal that should be his undoing, nursing homes. Number two. Anybody making more than $400,000 will see a small to a significant tax increase. If you make less than $400,000, you won't see one single penny in additional federal tax. Oops, kind of. Combined income, Joe, family income is a little bit different. An agenda only a radical Democrat could love. Raising taxes, massive infrastructure spending, nationalizing election, and elimination of the filibuster. Why Republicans have to rally to stop it all on arrival. Number one. Well, given the, 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 the tremendous rise and surge of individuals coming to the border, wouldn't it be fair to call it a crisis? Because that's what your agents are calling it. Uh, I'm not spending any time on the language that we use. I am spending the time on operational response to the situation at the border. Are you kidding? Are you going to buy that? Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas saying, I don't care about the crime or the uh, I don't care about what to label it. Well, it's only going to get worse, especially if you don't call it a crisis. That is a true consensus is viewing of a, a true consensus views this as chaos at the border, as illegal stream in and unaccompanied minors get to stay. How in the world is this in our nation's best interest? And why can't this administration see the folly in the open borders philosophy? Do you know this? So Jen Psaki actually said this out loud, and I'm tempted just to play it now. Here's a little bit of the exchange on the unaccompanied minors. They're coming at the average of 565 a day in March, just under 400 in February, over 13,000. Probably great kids. Probably all of them are great kids. But we can't take everybody's kids. And why do they believe they can get in if they come? Maybe this tells us the story. 
Here's Jen Saki. Cut to. Is there a limit to the number of, of children that will be allowed in? I mean, the numbers we're hearing now, 565 on average every day. I, I'm just curious what the what the end game is here, how many ultimately would be allowed in. When cu- kids come to the border, we look and see if they have a phone number in their pocket so we can call the family member and get them to those family members as quickly as possible. These are the steps uh, that we're taking at this point in time. Our policy continues to be we're not going to send a 10-year-old back across the border. That was the policy of the last administration. Anybody who comes gets in. What do you think that will do for the amount that will come? They go with a stranger, a human trafficker, a coyote, that's how they fill out their tax returns, who goes thousands of miles on foot with a kid who is under 12 to the border where they get paid for at least $4,000 if they're from the Triangle countries, 10000 if they're from outside of the country like Asia or Haiti, and they drop them off, get the money, they buy more drugs, they go back and get another kid. Where does it end? Where do our kids come in? How those kids, where are those kids going to go? Using taxpayer dollars to educate them, clothe them, teach them English? Is that right? Send them to college? Why not? Where's it end? What kind of policy is this? Are they doing that in Russia? Are they doing that in France? Are they doing that in China? I don't think so. It's crazy. This is, this is madness. So she's also asked about what the conditions are. So I wrote this down. Rokahana. A congressman from California uh, writes this on Sunday. Uh, Biden's handling of the border is wrong and morally unacceptable. We read that the kids can't shower. They have little food. They are no, these are human rights violations. That is a Democrat who support Bernie Sanders, a Democrat who tweeted at me and said, thanks, you're always fair, but I'm not a socialist. And I said, OK, that's fine. Uh, and we, we should really have him on. And we will. So can we see pictures? I mean, I, I was allowed personally, to travel with the Secretary of Defense and shoot almost anything I wanted, except for I couldn't shoot directly at faces because of uh, privacy issues. I had to go inside a holding cell where everyone was kept, uh, but I couldn't shoot that for privacy issues but outs- and security issues. But outside, you saw the tents, you saw the general situation, you saw the overwhelming. I was allowed to go with a Border Patrol agent, and they told me exactly what was on their mind. First time I've been out in the field in years. I got to go out there because I'm running out of guys to pick up all the migrants we're getting. But they worked, they worked, they changed, they adapted, and they came up with policies that were effective. So can we see the pictures? We would like to know, since you ran on this, Joe Biden, how inhumane kids with cages were. Meanwhile, they were separating people from adults they might not be related to. And most of the pictures circulated were from the Obama administration. The pictures are there. Joe Biden's seen them. President Biden has seen them. But we can't. Listen to this exchange with Kristen Fisher of Fox. Cut three. It's now been three weeks since I think in this room you were first asked about uh, getting us some, some press access. Why have mm-hmm. we still not seen any images inside these facilities? We remain committed to doing that. I don't have an update for you on the timeline for access, but it's certainly something we support. Um, you talked about the team that went to the border. Since there are photos from that team, mm-hmm. why not release those? I'm happy to invite them to the briefing room and talk to them about the photos. You all came in and promised to be the most truthful and transparent administration and and you all you know oversee the department of homeland security so if you all wanted to grant access to the press couldn't you just tell dhs to do it again we fully support transparency okay so i know no one's running that so that's where we're going to run that 
How do you explain the compliant media in that room not pushing hard to get the pictures out there that tell the complete story of the anarchy at the border that's only going to get worse that they can't hide? Joe Biden seen them, will not go down there and see them. Now, I've only been talking about the illegal immigrants that turn themselves in. We're not grabbing them by the scruff of the neck and saying, come with me, empty your pockets. They're, they want to become part of America, and they claim most are being sent back. So let's talk about the agenda. Since maybe the illegal immigration is their agenda, I think it's a huge distraction, a huge problem, whether they want to admit it or not. But maybe they want this. Who knows? Now let's talk about the agenda. They're trying to pass two immigration reform acts through the House. Maybe they will. But when it gets to the Senate, what's going to happen? It's going to die. Right. And then when they have H.R. 1 that's going to nationalize elections, when it gets uh, through the House, yeah, it'll get through the House. And then when it gets to the Senate, uh, they don't have 60 votes, it'll die. Okay? Now they want to do all this, uh, the green agenda. They're going to pass all this stuff through. It's going to get to the Senate. It's going to die. Why? Because there's only 50 votes there. So Ron Klain is the chief of staff, met with this progressive caucus a couple of days ago. And they are pushing him to get rid of the filibuster. They say, go green or go bipartisan. They believe that if you go bipartisan, none of their agenda will be passed. So do it. Also press to get a $15 minimum wage. What don't they they understand? Uh, The Democrats, including Joe Manchin, uh, have talked to Republicans, and they're up to like $11 or $12. Do you ever compromise on anything? This is all getting to one thing. It's getting towards getting we're getting a real filibuster. And everything that they write in the House gets through. You realize that? Everything will change forever. Rich Lowry writes today, things will change forever. And the Democrats are not going to be happy with it, just like they're not happy with three Supreme Court justices because Harry Reid blew up the filibuster when it came to judges. The tax increase is all going to pass. Why? Because... You can get you can pass it on 50 votes because there's something to do with money. You can't do immigration on that unless you blow up the filibuster. Senator Lindsey Graham knows the danger and is willing to fight for it. Cut 15. It would be transformational to the country in a, in a really bad way. It would destroy the Senate as we know it. Anything big like this, you should be able to get a few votes from the other side, right? If you want to federalize the elections and do away with redistricting by the states and turn it over to some commission that will fundamentally change how you vote, if you want to go to ballot harvesting nationally and take authority away from the states, shouldn't that be at least somewhat bipartisan? So I'm confident. I talked to Joe Manchin today that he's not going to vote to abolish the filibuster. But let me say this. If they pick up one more seat in 2022, if they get 51 or 52 Democratic senators, they're going to abolish the filibuster and transform America. one 866 By the way, they blew up both of those immigration reforms that might have had some traction. Who knows? Uh, but now that you blew up the border and show you don't care, wouldn't even call it a crisis. What Republican in his right mind or her right mind would vote for it? When we come back, Jonathan Ward, I, I, as much as I'm critical of what's happening at the border, I am not critical so far of what I read the Biden administration wants to do with China. I am not. They're keeping a lot of stuff in place, and they're being tough. I'll expand on that and see if I'm being duped. Jonathan Ward, he's the author of China's Vision of Victory. He's coming up next. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. We're united uh, in the vision of a free and open Indo-Pacific region where countries follow the rules, cooperate whenever they can, and resolve their differences peacefully. And in particular, we will push back if necessary when China uses coercion or aggression to get its way. Well, it's going to be interesting in Alaska. The first time we're seeing the Secretary of State meet with his counterpart uh, over in China, and he's already met with the Quad. That means India. That means Australia. That means South Korea and Japan. Why? It's a hedge against China. They know what's going on in the region. And I dare I say, I'm encouraged by some of the things I'm hearing. But what about Jonathan Ward, expert in the region, author of China's vision of victory, with advice, be like Reagan when it comes to the Soviet Union, when it comes to China. Hey, Jonathan, am I wrong to be somewhat optimistic about what I'm hearing from, uh, from Blinken and company? Um, Brian, it's great to be here. Honestly, I've become a fan of Tony Blinken. I think he's going to be a great diplomat. Um, you know, it's very clear that he understands the China issue. Um, it's front and center for him. I think there's a lot taking shape in U.S. diplomacy right now. I mean, this administration could be very successful at engaging the allies, not only in Asia, but across Europe. And, you know, the diplomacy that we've seen in the past, um, you know, 10 days at this point with the summit between the Quad leaders, you know, India, Japan, Australia, and the U.S., um, you know, Kurt Campbell's comments on um, economic coercion of Australia and how that, you know, we won't tolerate that. We're not going to reset our economic ties with Beijing while they're coercing our allies. And now this trip, um, you know, to, to Korea and Japan, I think, where they're talking about bringing the U.S.-Korea-Japan uh, relationship closer together, which is badly needed. I mean, all of this bodes well for U.S. alliance integration in the region and a very strong posture towards China. And at the same time, we're not going to accept their games anymore. I think that's been made clear. So we'll have to wait for the readout um, from the meetings. But um, it sounds like they're on the right track. I know. So, so for example, uh, they imposed sanctions on 24 Chinese officials Wednesday, knowing this Alaska summit was happening. So that's interesting. So they didn't exactly plow the ground for a successful first meeting. 
That's right. I mean, they're using all the tools that the Trump administration put in place. I mean, commerce is still, you know, doing its thing. I mean, the DOD is focused on China. Um, we're going to take, I think, a robust uh, approach to China in general and, and have a lot of continuity between Trump and Biden. But at the same time, um, you know, getting ready for this meeting where the Chinese probably want to reset. I mean, they want to um, play games with us again, say, you know, new model of great power relations. Let's work together, shaping the rules of the of the world. I mean, Xi Jinping now wants a virtual climate summit with Biden on Earth Day. But at the same time, I mean, what this country is actually doing, um, they've killed Indian soldiers on the border. They've uh, taken over Hong Kong and essentially uh, destroyed all of its um, you know, rights infrastructure. And of course, they're committing a genocide in Xinjiang. So it's, it's pretty clear that this is uh, the ultimate adversary, and we're going to have to proceed with a very um, you know, effective China strategy. And, and don't I, give them any, any. And do you think, from what you hear, Europe already cut a trade deal with them, even though they poisoned the world with this pandemic and haven't written one check for it? I mean, look what they did to Italy. So having done that, um, I, I, do you think our allies understand that we're there with their friends, even if they don't agree with us, and that China is the enemy? Well, I think the big question has to do with Europe. I mean, if, if Europe doesn't come with the United States ultimately um, to form a coalition of democracies that will allow us to um, deal with both China and Russia um, and ultimately Iran, I mean, those are really the, the anti-Western um, states at this point, all uh, proceeding in their own uh, strategies against us, but we need Europe to to join our side. And I think um, the economic ties, for example, between Italy and China and, and the entire Mediterranean region, and, and now especially Germany, I mean, that's become a real issue, I think, in the transatlantic relationship is, um, you know, you, you have such deep economic integration at this point um, that that's going to be the big challenge for us is how, how do you prioritize um, our security ties with, with Europe and at the same time create a new uh, global trade and and supply chains infrastructure that means that the democracies are working together, trading together, taking joint actions against China's economic aggression, and ultimately preventing China from dominating the 21st century global economy. Well, I mean, those, I think, are the real goals now. I know, and they're going to leave the tariffs in place. Obviously, they work because China wants them uh, removed right away. We said no. Also, they took Hong Kong. Not much of a the world's distracted with the pandemic. Taiwan's next. And American officials are warned that Taiwan crisis is brewing. They're telling President Xi. President Xi is coming back to say, this is none of your business. It's domestic affairs. I mean, that's what could be our next area of confrontation. Is that what your sources say? Well, I, I think the issue with Taiwan is that for, for Beijing to make any ground here, I mean, it, it, you're really talking about the use of military force. Now, they've built up a force structure, um, you know, a, a bomber fleet, um, massive sort of intermediate range um, ballistic missiles and short-range missiles, and then a, a blue-water navy, and they're building an amphibious force, all of which is, you know, basically in support of their military goals in the Pacific. But um, that would be, I think, much, much uh, bigger escalation of China's sort of uh, approach to its region. And, and yet, you know, the DOD and, uh, you know, many in national security are, are clearly focused on that issue. I mean, that uh, would raise the stakes enormously, and hopefully they won't do it. So it's why uh, deterrence in the Pacific is so essential. I mean, bringing the alliance system mm -hmm. together and greater interoperability. Um, ideally, you'd have something like a collective defense initiative in the Western Pacific. Um, and, and you have to, you know, as I wrote my article this week with General McMaster on um, looking to the Reagan administration for the lessons on the China challenge, um, you know, even as we apply economic pressure to China, and I think we have to do much, much more of that, we're also going to have to have a major 
larger um, deterrence initiatives so that they are not encouraged to use military force. And we can, Jonathan, we have to make sure we Mm -hmm. do not cut the defense budget. They will read that as an acquiescence. And uh, and number two, continue to keep a presence in that region. Uh, Jonathan Ward, very interesting. I got to talk to you after this is done and find out what the real messaging is. And please, I hope they don't lead with climate change. Uh, China laughs at that. China, uh, thank you so much. When we come back, uh, the Secretary of State, uh, the 51st Secretary of State of Ohio, Frank LaRose. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We are witnessing right now a massive and unabashed assault on voting rights, unlike anything we've ever seen since the Jim Crow era. This is Jim Crow in new clothes. Within 24 hours, we elected Georgia's first African-American Jewish senator, and hours later, the Capitol was assaulted. It is a contradiction to say we must protect minority rights in the Senate while refusing to protect minority rights in the society. Colleagues, no Senate rule should overrule the integrity of our democracy, and we must find a way to pass voting rights whether we get rid of the filibuster or not. That is Raphael Warnock, who's got that job for another year, and then he's going to go up to try to get six years. Uh, the big stunning upset where he beat Kelly Loeffler, who uh, a nice woman with absolutely no experience through that election in the street, as did the president. And uh, House Senator Purdue thought it was a good idea, uh, on a side note, not show up for the debate and not do much uh, and lose is unthinkable. Uh, but that's exactly what happened. And now they're trying to put HR1 and saying that that had something to do with the January 6th uh, riots that took place there. Nothing to do with it. It's not because somebody won as a minority uh, or there was Jewish. Had nothing to do with that at all. I don't know if they expect to snow you on that. But that is part of HR1, which would dramatically change our election laws forever. And that got the attention of the Secretary of State of Ohio, Frank LaRose. Uh, Mr. Secretary, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Brian. What disturbs you about HR1? Well, where do we start? I mean, you were talking about the, the con job, about trying to sort of wrap this in, in, in the language of the, the Voting Rights Act. This is the furthest thing from that. Um, you should be skeptical when they give it a name like For the People Act, right? They might as well call it Mom and Apple Pie. It, it ought to be called, you know, Federal Takeover of Elections Act. That, that's basically what it does. And, and listen, for 240 years, the states have done a really good job of running elections. Do they need to make some improvements? Sure. Here and there, I was testifying in the Pennsylvania state legislature last week because they want to modify the way they run elections and make it a little bit more like Ohio. I'm all for that. But what we don't need is a bunch of people in Washington, D.C. telling us how to run our elections in each of the 50 states. I agree. And here's an example. Uh, They're going to have drop-off boxes everywhere. They're going to have early voting everywhere, same-day voter and registration everywhere. They're They're going to have provisions regulating campaign financing, um, so this passed the House on Wednesday. So in a 50-50 Senate, yeah. it doesn't have a prayer of getting 10 votes. It is not a fiscal item, so it should not be simple majority. So are you concerned, like the I'm concerned, they're going right? to use I mean, this? It, the, the, yeah, it, it also includes things like legalizing ballot harvesting in all 50 states, where you would allow 
political operatives, paid political operatives to go collect people's ballots and just hope and trust they get back to the Board of Elections. It gets rid of a state's ability to set their own voter ID rules. D.C. statehood is in there. I don't know what the heck that has to do with uh, with, with voting rights. But uh, also, how about taxpayer funding for political campaigns? So now our tax dollars are going to go to politicians to run their television ads and make their yard signs. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a laundry list of, of leftist dreams sort of cloaked in the crisis opportunism of, hey, we need to improve elections. So, Frank, what I noticed about 34 states last time I checked are looking at their election laws and they're changing it. They're, they're, they want to have ID. They want to know who's voting. They don't think there should be election season. They think it should be election day with provisions, absentee ballot, a verification of who you are and a verification of where you live. And that's saying that that is racist. When you ask for an ID, it's racist. I hope people are not buying that. You know, I've seen a recent poll that shows that a lot of Americans, a lot of Americans don't buy that. And I can tell you what we do in Ohio. We, we've got a requirement where you've got to show a photo ID, but there's alternatives if you don't have one. Uh, and so we make it fair for, for people in Ohio as well. And, and, and listen, we just ran our most successful election in history. By any metric you can point to, six million people cast a ballot, shattering the previous record for the state of Ohio. Seventy-four percent of Ohio registered voters turned up, and 59 percent of those ballots were cast before the polls ever opened on Election Day, meaning Ohioans were taking advantage of our secure system for absentee voting. We don't do mail-in voting where we send a ballot to everybody, whether they ask for one or not. But in Ohio, you prove your identity, and sure, we'll send you an absentee ballot. But the point is, it should be up to each state to decide how they want to run their election. So, you know, it's pretty interesting that two battleground states that seem to decide every election except this one were Ohio and Florida. And you guys really, with all the eyes on you and the scrutiny there, you guys stepped up. What, what compens- how did you compensate for the pandemic um, and, the, and the number of absentee ballots you got this time as opposed to other years? Well, Brian, first of all, this is one of those things where when you've been in the national spotlight for decades, you, you kind of get good at it. And so both Ohio and Florida have been under the microscope and so we've gotten accustomed to running elections when everybody's looking over our shoulder. Uh, but also, you know, I brought the mentality that I had from the Army. I served 10 years in, in the military as an Army Green Beret. And I told my team last summer, we had a saying that we sweat in peacetime so we don't bleed in battle. It's a simple message about uh, preparation, right? And so we did our sweating over the summer to make sure that we were ready. And when absentee ballots doubled, we were ready for that because traditionally in Ohio over the last two decades, we have, you know, 15 to 20 percent of our ballots that come in by mail. And so we were able to staff up and add extra equipment and be ready for that number to to, to double. But here's exactly why H.R. 1 is so dangerous. It's a square peg in a round hole. We've been doing this for 20 years, so we were ready to handle that high volume of absentee votes. But take a state like our neighbors to the south, West Virginia. I was talking to Mac Warner, the West Virginia Secretary of State, and he told me that in that state where they don't have so-called no-fault absentee voting, they can expect only 1 or 2 percent of the ballots to come in by mail. So take a board of elections that's accustomed to only getting maybe a couple hundred, and now all of a sudden they're getting tens of thousands. It would lead to chaos. It would lead to confusion. And what that ultimately does is makes voters less confident in the process, which ought to be the thing that we're most uh, most most focused on protecting. Uh, Frank, I don't even know. Are you a Republican? Yes, sir. So has there been an effort amongst your party to go out and explain to minority communities that when you ask for an ID, you're not telling them not to vote? When you try to to buckle down on the ballots, on mail-in balloting, you're not saying don't vote. 
Uh, you're saying that when you cut down the amount of days to show up, you're not saying don't vote. You're just trying to create an organization to it and try to stop fraud. Absolutely, Brian. And, and, and let's put to rest forever this tired old notion that the Democrats want to trot out every few years and say Republicans want to make it hard for people to vote. That's certainly not the case in Ohio. It was Republican leadership that gave you no-fault absentee voting, a full 30 days of early voting in Ohio, online voter registration, all of these really pro-voter innovations that make Ohio a leader in the nation were all passed by Republican legislatures and signed by Republican governors. And here's what it showed us also. In Ohio, when we have massive turnout, as we did, record-breaking turnout in 2016, 2018, and 2020, Republicans nearly ran the table in all three of those elections in Ohio. So we want high turnout. When, when, when the maximum number of voices are heard, I believe my party will win on its merits. Now, as it relates to to, to community outreach. That's something that we focused a lot on. In fact, I was out at African-American churches doing voter registration drives last year. We partnered with barber shops and beauty salons to get people registered to vote because we knew that the traditional voter registration drives were going to be harder during a pandemic. We we worked with the, there was a guy here in Columbus at the barber shop. He did 2,000 voter registrations out of his barber shop. So he was out there working to get the neighborhood kids to come in and not only get a haircut, but get registered to vote. And that's a great thing. That's a beautiful thing to see. And so, yeah, the word has gone out. Here's, here's the thing. People know that it's easy to vote in states like Ohio. It's just a matter of getting out and making your voice heard. Yeah, you just got to put an effort in. You have to, have an, you have to show up with an ID to get a vaccine. Why is it unusual to show up with an ID in order to vote uh, that matters so much? Don't you want your vote to count? Because if someone shows up with a fake ID, they canceled you out. Meanwhile, among the people who see the urgency with H.R. 1 and are worried about it because of the chance of a filibuster uh, actually being erased in this new Democratic-controlled Senate, Lindsey Graham, cut 16. Mitch is right. A 50-50 Senate, you can't do anything without unanimous consent that matters. And to have a quorum, you've got to have 51 people present, and the vice president doesn't count. So if they did this, we could really shut down the entire Senate because we just won't show up. And here's what Biden needs to understand. If you go to the talking filibuster, we will take the floor to stop H.R. 1. I would talk till I fell over to make sure that we don't go to ballot harvesting and voting by mail without voter ID. Yeah, if he wants a talking filibuster, I don't know if you've seen politicians, I've met them, they can talk. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, one of the things that has made the, the U.S. Senate one of the world's greatest deliberative bodies is the idea that, that, that it requires some degree of bipartisanship to get things done, especially on a voting bill. Listen, I, I understand that some things pass on a party line vote, but when it comes to fundamentally changing the rules for how we run elections, that should be a bipartisan enterprise. And this is why I'm hopeful that the Senate will kill this really dangerous piece of legislation. Jonathan, I don't, I don't know how much you're all over this story, but I woke up to this today. Ford is uh, plans to move a new project from the Avon Lake plant in uh, of the United Auto Workers are fighting this, by the way, from the Avon Lake plant to Mexico. How much does that matter to Ohioans? It matters to Ohioans in a big way. We're a state that knows how to build things. We're proud of that. I was just out in the Youngstown area a couple of days ago at Lordstown Motors where they're tooling up to build the first all-electric, all-electric pickup truck, and that's exciting. We, we want to see Ohio continue to build things. And, you know, the last administration fought to keep manufacturing jobs here in Ohio. 
uh, if this administration wants to have any chance of being taken seriously in Ohio, they're going to have to step up to the plate and fight to keep manufacturing here in the Buckeye State. Yeah, how about 8,500 jobs? And you take those billions of dollars and you put it in Mexico. Fantastic. Frank LaRose, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, uh, keep a, make care. sure everybody knows about this because this is, this is a horror. Absolutely. We'll spread the word. Thanks. You got it. Uh, Frank LaRose. And, of course, everyone at WHIO was able to join that station this morning. Uh, is all over it. As Ohio goes, so goes uh, the country. Uh, back in a moment with your calls. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. 1-866-408-7669. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I've been everywhere, man, and I've been everywhere. I've been to California, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Massachusetts, Mississippi, San Francisco, Kansas City, Alabama, Minnesota, Carolina, North Dakota, North Korea, Venezuela, Guatemala, Indonesia, Colorado, Pakistan, Cancun, to the moon, Austin, Boston, Iran, Afghanistan. I've been everywhere, man, and I've been everywhere. That was Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, they edited that together of Biden, which, you know, that's what Biden, that's what Fallon should do. Right, it was done well. Yeah, I mean, that's when he has fun rather than uh, anti-Donald Trump stuff. Did you see, by the way, Donald Trump, and I don't, I, I don't understand this. Do you remember he thought Bob Woodward wrote a bad book about him, remember? So Bob, he said, the next time Bob Woodward writes a book, why didn't he, hey, Bob, why didn't you call me? I would have given you access. Bob Woodward never believed it, but he called him on it next time. So it turns out that he does cooperate with him. And the book is just terrible. It makes Trump look pretty awful, at least two or three chapters, because President Trump believes that uh, that he can convince anybody that his point of view is the right point of view. Or if he could bring him into the process, he'd win them over. He's flat out wrong. Bob Woodward became one of his biggest critics after talking to him regularly, getting endless hours. They end up being uh, big time phone buddies. So now we understand that the President Trump finds out he's been contacted by a number of people writing books on him. Almost every one of them are enemies uh, from Maggie Haberman on down. What two Washington Post reporters. So why would he do that here? Listen to some of these people he said uh, yes to. Um, It's right here. The former president scheduled to sit down for a dozen interviews in the coming weeks with authors examining the president and penning sequels uh, to the book publishing uh, in his time in office, it looks like the, the president's enemies list, including Jonathan Carl, is writing another book. Jonathan Carl is closest to being fair, but he just was destroying all his press secretaries on a daily basis. Now, apparently, Jason Miller said, you know, Trump continues to be, you know, the biggest story out there and everyone wants to talk to him when they asked why he's granting these. It's but, true, though. I don't think that's hyperbole. Well, no, it's not. But yeah. again, sort of to your point, though, but it's not going to they're not going to be flattering things that are written. Yeah. Uh, Daryl, it's on WHO, WHIO in Dayton. Hey, Daryl. Yeah. yeah, Brian. Yeah, go ahead. What's on your mind? Yeah, yeah Brian. We, we have to do more messaging, man. Uh, you know, I've, I've been a Democrat all my life. And one day I listened to Rush Limbaugh, and I'm telling you, it changed my mind. It changed my mind in the way I think. Brian, I, I grew up starting from dishwasher, and now I'm a truck driver, uh, Brian. And it just makes sense that they, we take more 
interactive with the Mexican and Latino and black communities and put out the message and, and have them to really figure out uh, what Donald Trump really did for us. And he made it better, Brian, than worse. Now, if that would have been um, uh, Donald Trump out there with his shirts on, Trump, please let us in. The Democrats would have been stopped oh, a long time are you ago. you kidding? Yes. We're just too weak, Brian. In a, anyway. in a way, but they, they also don't have the media. I would say this, Daryl, you know, you listen to Rush, who didn't? Uh, you have this show, Fox, and, we, you know, we'll take, as you know, you ask Donald Trump, there's all opinions on Fox. But if you look at the rest of the media, they all are saying one thing and looking the other way at the other. I mean, there is nobody, almost no one clamoring to get inside these facilities with 13,000 miners there that, according to one report, very little food. They're not taking showers. If that was Trump, they'd call it a humanitarian disaster. They'd call in the U.N. That's what makes it difficult. But the other thing is I want to bring to you and this uh, hour and a lighter note, and that is everybody's cancel culture. You, you watch a monologue of Bill Maher. He's as upset about it as maybe Sean Hannity or you about cancel culture, whether it's Dr. Seuss or Mr. Potato Head, or whether it's uh, Sharon Osbourne. Uh, we'll find something you did in the past. Make make sure Kevin Hart doesn't host the Oscars because of some what they thought was insensitive jokes about gay people seven years prior that he may or may not have tweeted out. It is getting to a point where everyone walks around all unbelievably offended. So Sebastian Maniscalco, one of the many comedians, one of the top five comedians in the world, put this up on Instagram for St. Patrick's Day. Cut 35. I'm taking a big risk here. I don't even know if I could say this. This could jeopardize the whole, the whole thing right, right now. But I can't stay, stay silent any longer. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Is that okay? Where's Patrick? Did he do something? Did we dig up something on him? What'd he do? We okay with the color green? Is that all right? Someone get, like, hopped up if somebody takes out a green, green crayon? Four-leaf clover? Are we all right with that? Leprechauns. How about that? The leprechaun's got to go, right? Something wrong with him? The, the, the green and the brown beard, someone got a problem with leprechaun? Pot of gold? He shouldn't have a pot of gold because that's, what, he's fortunate? And he worked hard and he made money, so he's got to give his gold to everybody else? You tell me what I can and cannot say. Aren't you embarrassed? And that's his line, aren't you embarrassed? Because, you know, for, I, I would argue that comedians has been hurt outside musicians, but musicians can really do their thing online and sell their albums. But comedians, I've been heard more than anybody else. They live off live audiences, especially the ones that are developing. You can't develop without a live audience. You can't develop on Zoom or on FaceTime. It's just impossible to develop in the right way. You could maybe develop your humor and get lucky on some, some, um, and, and on some humor and some writing. But that's what, you, that's what they miss. I mean... When they go back on stage in great numbers, better hold on to something because comedians make a living on insulting people and making fun of stereotypes. In today's climate that gets you canceled, maybe America is ready to embrace that and fight back against the cancelization. Fingers crossed. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. 
From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York. Heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the show. Well, it's really the only thing you have to listen to to get you ready for any day or bring you through any day. We're going to talk to Chris Wallace shortly, which will be good, uh, usually. And Press Secretary Jen Psaki will be holding a press conference just after the show ends. Before that, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy will be coming out. He's got to feel good about himself. He's been accused of lying about what he saw when he chucked out the facilities with um, unaccompanied minors. It turns out Axios had the same story that backed up that McCarthy was not exaggerating or lying. Uh, there was a report from Ro Kahana, the, uh, the congressman from California, who said this is a humanitarian disaster. Kids don't have enough to eat. They cannot shower. And it's overcrowded. A humanitarian crisis. That's from a Democrat. My goodness. 565 a day. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The question to President Biden starts with, do you think the governor should resign or do you think there should be a review first? And the president said there should be a review. I agree with him on that. I'm not going to resign. And he appointed just about every judge that's supposed to look over his impeachment. And it looks like the assembly... Uh, speaker, uh, is slow walking the entire investigation. Cuomo holds on as he goes where the one place still exists that looks at him as a hero, Harlem. Meanwhile, a whistleblower brings us inside the scandal that should be his undoing, nursing homes. Number two. Anybody making more than $400,000 will see a small to a significant tax increase. If you make less than $400,000, you won't see one single penny in additional federal tax. That's interesting. Can I add one thing? Family that earns $400,000, a little bit different from individual, an agenda only a radical Democrat could love. Raising taxes, massive infrastructure spending, nationalization of elections, and elimination of the filibuster to make it all possible. Why Republicans have to rally to stop it on its arrival. Number one. Well, given the, 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 the tremendous rise and surge of individuals coming to the border, wouldn't it be fair to call it a crisis? Because that's what your agents are calling it. Uh, I'm not spending any time on the language that we use. I am spending time on operational response to the situation at the border. Alejandro Mayorkas, he's a head of the Homeland Security Committee, uh, uh, and he's the secretary, I should say. And by the way, he's in denial but not really, about what's happening at the border. It's only going to get worse. That's a true consensus view of the chaos at the border as illegals stream in and unaccompanied minors get to stay. How in the world is this in our nation's interest? And why can't this administration see the folly in opening up this border and the philosophy of doing so? But first. And now it's time to clear the airwaves for the esteemed host of Fox News Sunday. I believe that if you encourage people, they do their best work. What I do, I'll berate you until you graduate. And then when you move on, I said I was just trying to make you better. The president of the Brian Kilmeade Show Labor Union. It's not the nice guy with the dimples. That's not who you really are. You're a tyrant. You know what that was? What? You know what that was? What was that, that was a cry for help <laughs> from your staff. Ah, it was a little on the nose, wasn't it? If that is ever played for HR, you're gone. <laughs> ah, you're, you're, uh, out, you're out of here. They don't know I have a radio show. And now, due to popular demand. Is this something you expect? 
I, I'm pleased by it, but I do kind of expect it. The budget for Chris Wallace's intro has been increased 100% to an unprecedented five bucks. I just want to say to all of you, Eric and Peter and Allison and Frank Bruno, whoever, I am very grateful for your work and I feel your pain. The Brian Kilmeade Show fundraiser in chief. When you see Frank Bruno in New York, give him a hug. We got. I got to have a vaccine first. <laughs> they can give me a hug. Chris Wallace. Chris? Well, I have now had my vaccine, so I'm ready to give Frank Bruno a hug. Wow, good job. Was it Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer? Is this too personal? Uh, no, I had, the, I had the two doses two weeks apart of uh, Pfizer. And for anybody out there saying, well, how does he get it? I'm old. Excuse me. I'm old. <laughs> ah. I, I fit. I'm in 1C, so I got it. Uh, but uh, and, and let me incidentally say, get it. It's nothing. It feels, you know, I, it's slight. Uh, you know, wooziness, not nothing after the first dose, a little wooziness after the second dose, which was gone in the 12 hours. And, you know, it's, it's great. Now, <laughs> has my life changed at all? No, I'm still wearing a mask. I'm still distancing. I, you know, I, I can't say things have changed a lot, but get the dose. And the one change is I will now be able to give Frank Bruno a hug and a kiss. Chris, take off the mask. 90, the Israel did a study. When you get the shots, there's 96% chance you're not carrying the virus. Take off the mask. Live your life. Yeah, but here's the problem. As, as some people know, my wife, Lorraine, uh, the, the, the soup lady, as Shepard Smith used to call her, Mrs. Sunday, uh, she's a child bride. She is much younger than I am. Uh, and she hasn't had the vaccine, and she's not very happy, incidentally, about that. If anybody can hook her up with a vaccine, we will we'll, we will make the uh, the, the deal. Uh, she uh, is is hasn't been vaccinated yet. Although I don't wear the I don't wear a mask around her. I think she'd prefer I do, but I don't. Remember, you went, I went to your wedding, and I said I cannot believe she's 24. You think this will work? And you said I don't can't see the problem. You didn't anticipate a pandemic and a vaccine disparity. <laughs> No, I didn't. Uh, she's not wasn't 24. That's untrue. But, you know, I, I often say to her, you know, it was the biggest decision of your life and you screwed it up. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> and, and I might say the same for Dawn, incidentally, too. Right. Biggest I mean, think of these women. Right. They're wonderful, attractive, smart, intelligent women. And they screwed up the biggest decision of their life. And they married dopes like you and me. Shouldn't this be our conversation at a sports bar where no one can overhear us? We're doing this on a national radio show. What are you talking? I don't you know. Doing? That, I mean, come on. Uh, let's be honest here. They're, really, nobody's listening anyway. This is as if we're talking in a, in a closet anyway. Chris, we're the fifth biggest show in the country. That according to Talkers Magazine. Is that true? Yeah. Right? Is it a five? Yeah, a five, a five or might well, even be well, four. Then, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, uh, a five, I, excuse I, me. Yeah. I, I would uh, retract everything I just said up till now. That was just all a joke. So, listen, we have a few yes, things sir. to go over. I need your take on. First off, I needed okay. to find out what's going on with the administration as it relates to what's happening at the border. Thankfully, the vice president is on top of things. Cut four. Fantastic. I'm so glad she's in this administration. Has she said anything or done anything? Who is not telling her what's happening at the border? 
I think she just didn't want to answer the question. They're not handling this very well. There's no question about it. First of all, to get into this whole silly thing. I mean, it's silly on both sides. They should have called it a crisis from the beginning, and we shouldn't. And I'm not saying for any other reason than it's a waste of time to keep saying, well, is it a crisis today? You know, it is what it is. And the answer is that they're because of a variety of things, including the messages this administration sent. You're getting this flood of of unaccompanied minors, especially coming across the border. And they're not and they're not set for it. And and, you know, I know that. Uh, George Stephanopoulos did an interview with the president and said, you know, don't you have to say don't come? And he went, OK, don't come. No, it's going to be a lot stronger <laughs> and more so. forceful than that. And, and you know, they, they, I understand the humanitarian side of it. And I, I'm, there were certain parts of the Trump policy that I really didn't like. I hated the separating of families. But having said that, if you're not prepared to handle them, and, and frankly, you know, it, I, I'm all for asylum. I'm all for legal, uh, uh, legitimate asylum. I'm all for legal immigration, but it isn't the job of the United States to solve every other country's problems. And if li- living conditions are unpleasant in other parts of the world, why do they have to come and why do we have to accept them into our country? Uh, I, I, I just don't, I don't get that. Chris, you're singing my song. It's scary. I'm afraid to even say anything. To, to, I don't want to back you off, but I just want you to – that's exactly how I feel. I, no one likes kids more than me, uh, I'm telling you. But this has got to stop. Listen to it, how Jen Psaki described it, and tell me if you see a problem with this philosophy. Cut to. Is there a limit to the number of, of children that will be allowed in? I mean, the numbers we're hearing now, 565 on average every day. I, I'm just curious what the – what the end game is here, how many ultimately would be allowed in. When kids come to the border, we look and see if they have a phone number in their pocket so we can call the family member and get them to those family members as quickly as possible. Okay, we could stop right there. If I'm in Ecuador, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, that's all I need to know. Then I'm writing a $3,000 check to a a human trafficker who are going to bring my kid 2,000 miles to get him to America. I mean, how crazy is that message? Send your kid with a note in his pocket and they get into America? I, and, and please, Allison, and, and again, I feel your pain and the fact that you work for, for uh, Brian. Mark this. I agree. I, I, I just I, – there needs to be legal immigration, and, you know, that's part of what has made this country so great, and there are certainly cases – of legitimate asylum when there is political persecution or whatever in other countries. But the idea, as you say, that you come across the border, you're 15 years old and you have a phone number in your in your pocket, that that's a, 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 a free entry into the United States of America. Uh, I, 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 that doesn't strike me as an immigration policy. It doesn't strike me at all like that. Having said that, I want to move over to Andrew Cuomo because the governor got somebody on his side. And, you know, he has to only 22 percent of the African-American community in New York want him to resign. And I was surprised that 50 percent want him to finish out his term. Only 34 percent want him to, to go, uh, want him to run for reelection. Keep in mind, Chris, this is seven allegations and a nursing home scandal that has a lot of substance to it, And he's being investigated by an attorney general. And you also have these seven women who are Democrats who are fighting back against him right now. But listen to Charlie Rangel, the veteran congressman who's retired yesterday in Harlem. Cut 24. Due process 
and a hearing is basically what we believe in in this country, then you would hope that any one of us, and when I say any one of us, I mean it. I don't care whether you're a clergy, a politician, a business person, you go to your family and you go to your friends because you know that they are going to be with you. So do you think he survives this, Judge? I mean, I know you have a lot on your plate. I don't know how close you're watching this, but he's the most high-profile pro- governor in the country. Do you think he survives this? No, of course this? I'm watching it. I mean, it's a, it's a big national story. You know, I, I, I'm probably going to disagree with you here. I don't think there's anything wrong with what Char, Charlie Rangel said about due process. Do I think that what happened to Al Franken, where he was forced out because a few women said something and there was never a hearing, there was never an investigation— Kirsten Gillibrand was, and, and a bunch of women in the Senate yelled about it, and he, and he cut and ran. I mean, in fairness to Andrew Cuomo, he was elected by the people. It's not like he's working for a company and the company decides it's bad for business. He denies it. We don't know, honestly. We don't know that it's true or, or not true. I mean, I, even if one of the women that said it to you or said it to me, you don't know if it's true. Why not? You've got you've got an investigation going on now. It appears it's independent. The, the attorney general of the state, who clearly is no fan of, of uh, Andrew Cuomo's and is likely to run for governor if he's forced out. Uh, you've got a federal investigation with the FBI and the U.S. attorney in Brooklyn. Why not let it it play out? And if, if they find that he's guilty, you know, it out. But why why should he have to resign at this point, on the yeah. basis of... I'm not un- critical un- of Charlie Rangel. I'm pointing out that he has gotten no support, public support from anyone. He was the first. That's why I pointed out. Um, no, no. I'm only, yeah. say- I'm only saying that, that you know, fine. So, so have due process. Have the investigation. If he's found guilty, he should be gone yesterday. But I don't know just because somebody comes up and says something about you that, that you uh, have to resign immediately. Well, I, I would say seven a- is huge. Uh, number two, I think the nursing home is bigger. 5,000, I, I mean 9,000, I mean 15,000, um, and go, go up to and have your staff go up to health inspectors and change the numbers that you hired, both staffs, by the way. So I think there's a lot there. I'll be very curious to see what's on your show. I'm very curious as well. Uh, we know one thing we're going to have uh, is uh, uh, Tom Cotton, uh, senator from Arkansas, we're going to talk about the, um, the COVID relief bill, is it legit or not? An even bigger infrastructure bill, and as you pointed out, uh, probably $2 trillion increase in taxes. Um, we'll obviously talk about the border and the filibuster, and I know, you, I know you want me gone, but I have real questions about the filibuster, and, and, and I'm kind of changing my mind about it because if nothing gets done, and this isn't a partisan issue, because I would have said the same thing when Republicans were in charge and Donald Trump was president. And if nothing gets done and you can simply impose this supermajority of 60 on everything, maybe there needs to be some change in the filibuster so that, you know, when it comes to immigration reform or Obamacare, remember, the, the, the president couldn't get rid of Obamacare because of John McCain. Maybe if you didn't have this 60 vote threshold we'd actually address some of the issues that are out there. Um, you know, you elect a majority, elect a Democratic president, or, or let's say a Republican president, a Republican Senate. Let them pursue their program. People don't like it, they'll vote them out of office. Well, Tom Cotton, if you're listening, you better, better be ready for a uh, better be ready for a battle. Uh, Wallace is, is loaded for bear. Uh, Chris, thanks so much. 
Uh, thank you. And uh, again, I want to just wish the best to your to your staff. And 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 uh, to quote Joe Biden, "Help is on the way." <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Chris is waiting for us in Orlando, WDBO, where I believe spring breakers are. Hey, Chris. Hey, Brian. How are you, my friend? Good. What's on your mind? Hey, listen, um, you know, as as we're all being told, you know, for July 4th to have a small barbecue with our family and <laughs> so on and so forth, we're asking to be diligent and, and, and whatnot. I, I wish somebody would ask Dr. Fauci. I mean, I, I task you, Mr. Kilmeade. I, I listen to you. I, I respect you very much. Someone needs to ask Dr. Fauci what his opinion is about what's going on at the border, because I think we all know what the answer would be. And at the end of the day, as humans, we just all want to be treated equally and fair, right? Yep. And what's happening to the citizens in America is different than what's happening down there. And it's just not fair. And someone needs to put them on the put put, put them up and uh, and ask them and put them on the put them on the spot with that question. Well, I'll tell you what, Chris. I, I believe Fauci would skirt around the issue because he does not want to buck this president, where he thrived doing it to Donald Trump thrived on it. I mean, this guy is just now given into six feet, really should be three feet. And now he's he comes on and, and just covers for President Biden whenever he can. So I don't think he's the right person to ask. But I will say this. This is what bothers me when you talk about people being treated equally. We want the truth, the truth and equal rights uh, and equal and fairness from this administration. The governor of Texas isn't even getting information about people being held in Texas. He did not know. You had to see the questions he asked at the press conference yesterday. He did not know how many. He did not know how long. He did not know the materials. He did not know anything about drug use, paraphernalia that might have been captured. Nobody in, in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is telling the governor anything, let alone us. When we come back, we move ahead. And we talk to Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis about Cuomo and more. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Let's find out the facts, and then we all can have an opinion and comment on the facts once we know the facts. But I'm not going to comment until uh, those reviews are finished on any specific issue that they're looking at. So those are seven issues, not one issue, and those are seven different accusers of sexual harassment. That's, of course, Governor Cuomo yesterday doing some audio. I guess this was on a conference call. He doesn't do as many appearances. I wonder why. And then he uh, also the nursing home situation where you have a whistleblower come forward and say they, they objected to what he was doing, putting infected patients back in the facilities, and uh, he basically got threatened. So you'll hear from them shortly. But right now, let's try to bring somebody who's not uh, worried about being threatened. She'll walk right through any threats or any warnings. Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis. Congresswoman, welcome back. 
great to be with you, Barry. Thanks for having me. So are you surprised that we're still talking about Governor Cuomo persevering through this? Uh, you know what? I am and I'm not. Uh, look, the governor is uh, somebody who is a bully. Uh, he is somebody uh, who many people have been, uh, I guess, the subject of his threats or his uh, people that he has put out there within his administration to make phone calls for him. Uh, but at the same time, uh, what's really shocking to me is that the Democrats, even though a lot of them have called for his resignation, that they're so focused on the sexual harassment. And very few of them are really talking about the true tragedy in the nursing home scandal where his misguided uh, orders have led to you know, 15,000 deaths. And, and the cover-up, the cover-up, it, 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 you know, obstruction of justice. Uh, hiding information, hiding the true numbers of not only the death in nursing homes, but also the number of COVID-positive patients that he placed in the nursing homes. Uh, you know, this his own Democratic attorney general had exposed that it was underreported. Then his own chief of staff admitted that it was because they wanted to cover it up to hide the information from the Department of Justice because they were afraid of an investigation. That, to me, is uh, really the reason why the governor should resign. And the sexual allegations, you know, they, that compounds it. Completely inappropriate behavior, uh, particularly these are individuals who uh, most of them worked in his own administration that have come forward. You know, uh, yeah. if there's one person, it could be questionable. But now we're up to seven women uh, and certainly compounds that. But that does, you know, and, uh, of course, uh, deserve an investigation. Um, so for me, it's shocking to see how many of the Women in the legislature, Democratic women, are so quiet, and then the ones that have come out, they are not mentioning anything regarding the nursing home scandal. So, you know, what I find interesting is, you know, right away you heard the Assembly Speaker is going to look into an investigation. The New York Post writes today in their lead editorial that Carl Hasty, the Assembly Speaker, um, wants an investigation into having a possible impeachment. Why not just impeach, they wonder. I don't know. They had a four-hour conference call, which he led, urging everybody on that call, these are Democrats, to not draft impeachment articles since people get accused of things. That was his quote. And Cuomo knows time is on his side. The longer he can drag this out, he could end up like Governor Northam. Uh, that's absolutely true. And remember, the governor is up for re-election next year. And so if the governor can drag this out and then say, well, I'm not running again and leave on his own terms, I think that's a victory for him as well. Um, but I certainly don't believe that the governor would be re-elected should he decide to run. Uh, you know, remember, his father ran for a fourth term and he outstayed his welcome and was defeated at the ballot box. I think you'd see that similar situation play out here. But also, Remember that they're in budget negotiations right now in Albany, and so uh, perhaps the Assembly is using this as leverage, uh, which would be the wrong thing to do, obviously. Um, but I think maybe that could have something to do with it. They're trying to jam through a $208 billion budget, 22% increase over last year. Um, uh, unbelievable amount of spending when small businesses, every business, uh, you know, home, home right. uh, families, they've had to all tighten their belts. Uh, but here is the New York State Legislature looking to just spend like drunken sailors. Uh, and again, I don't, I don't mean to insult the sailors that are listening. I, I have to tell you, like that, comparing that to the state of California, right, which is the the other crazy progressive liberal uh, state in the country, you know, that's nearly the same amount of spending as the state of California. Yet California has twice as many residents. 
And he's raising taxes. And it's unbelievable. Even Senator Schumer says, I'm giving you all this money. Your revenue is the same, if not up. What do you mean you're raising taxes? But he's saying he'll raise taxes. So I want to talk, I mentioned to you before about this whistleblower. So this is Michael Krauss. He was on American Reports. He expressed concern about the nursing homes being uh, being used to bring back patients. Listen to how it was received. Cut 23. We can't be doing this. It's it's just not right to the residents. And you vocalize that on these phone conversations. I did vocalize it. And then, you know, once it was shot down, I never spoke again. So people are coming forward saying, like, we knew this was a problem. I mean, New Jersey has a problem. Pennsylvania has a problem. Michigan's got a problem. They did the same thing. But, the, you know, I don't know if they covered up the numbers like this guy did. And for, he, for some reason he was determined to do that, even though he had a ship and the Javits Center to put these people in. Yeah, and, that, and that's the part that's mind-boggling. Well, first of all, he mandated that they take these patients, whether or not they can care for them. Uh, and then he didn't – the state didn't provide the PPE. You know, there were, there were elected officials like me on the ground that were you know, trying to get as many donations of PPE and delivering to these nursing homes. They were absolutely desperate. They could not care for the patients that they had, let alone you know, these additional individuals that the governor was forcing them to take. They really – the ones that I've spoken to in my district said that they felt they had to take it. They had no choice in the matter. Okay, Uh, and then secondly, you're absolutely right. When the Javits Center was uh, up and running, and the U.S. Navy Comfort Ship that President Trump came, a sense came to the shores. uh, Even facilities like South Beach Psychiatric Center on Staten Island, all set up to take COVID positive patients, and then they didn't use those facilities to their capacity. They 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 hardly use those facilities in comparison to what they did to the nursing homes. So he could have not he could have stopped that executive order at least then and so we have alternatives because those were specifically set up for covid positive only. It's incredible the series of events but that's what's happened locally uh, nationally you're going to be hit uh, on two immigration bills that are going through the house and go to get it to the senate they won't get 60 votes uh, just about dreamers uh, and you know, one of them is about dreamers and the other one and he wants to do immigration reform. Are, are you concerned? For, number one, there's nothing more tone deaf you could be if you're a Democrat right now than try to put immigration reform through. What is the sense in the House? Are you guys trying to get the five votes among maybe moderate Democrats to stop some of this stuff? Well, I'll tell you, so far, Nancy Pelosi has them on, under their thumb uh, in the sense that even with a bill, I, I put up just a sim- simple amendment that says Congress condemns calls to abolish, to defund, to dismantle our police. That's it. Just a simple statement. And you know that it fell along party lines, that not one Democrat actually voted for this thing. It was unbelievable and unconscionable, but that just shows you the the way that Nancy Pelosi has them all tied together, and they're going to probably vote in lockstep here as well. Now, this bill, and, and not only does it provide the amnesty for the 2.5 million individuals, it allows people who are convicted criminals. Uh, it actually does nothing to even stem the tide of the illegal immigration. It doesn't do anything regarding border, border security. So there's a lot of concerns here. Yesterday, I had a phone call with um, CBP. Uh, and as you know, they're doing really difficult work at the border right now, and they're overwhelmed. They told me that they caught four terrorists just in the last few months within the group of migrants that have been coming. They've also caught 132 gang members. 
And those are just the ones that they were able to catch. So, you know, we have to be very concerned. And obviously, this was very preventable, but it was also predictable once President Biden changed the executive orders of President Trump. Uh, we knew that this was going to be a problem, but they don't want to actually address that issue. They want to, uh, you know, work on amnesty, but they don't want to do anything to prevent the individuals who are right. coming over in droves and who we it's impossible to care for. Children as young as two or three years old coming unaccompanied through smugglers. What they're doing is the smugglers and the cartels are making billions off of the backs of these poor individuals who are being uh, lured here under I guess not false pretense because they're being told quite frankly by this administration that they'll they they, they can come and then it is really is really no way to handle this type type of influx. Uh by the way there was also a bill offered that would require uh negative covid tests for illegal immigrants the democrats blocked that. How would yeah. you block that? You don't want us to go to a mall or a theater or to school and now we have illegals coming across the border we're not supposed to test them. Yeah, and remember, the, no unnecessary travel over uh, the border for Americans. So, you know, no unnecessary travel for us uh, due to COVID, yet you're seeing people coming, 100,000 individuals, no COVID tests, they're being released into the communities. Uh, and, and, yeah, it's a major, major issue, particularly during this pandemic. Congresswoman Malatakis, we'll see what happens uh, in New York and around the country. Uh, because if they get rid of the filibuster, we're not going to even recognize this this uh, nation that we live in. Uh, and this is your first term. <laughs> Congratulations. You went right to the eye of the storm, literally. Uh, thank you so much, Congresswoman. Thank you. one 408 We'll find out when we come back if uh, what's on your mind and if there's more to know. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. It's uh, kind of interesting to think about all we have on our on tap today from uh, Governor Cuomo to the China summit in Alaska to Joe Biden pretending that there's no crisis and telling everyone I'm willing to raise taxes and letting everybody know who watched the Stephanopoulos interview uh, that he uh, is looking to get rid of the filibuster. It's amazing. He literally grew up from his 20s and now he's 78 years old in the Senate and he throw it all in the street. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. All right. Rules for me, not for thee. We've heard that so much when it comes to Gavin Newsom. What about John Kerry? Absolutely. Mr. Private Plane, correct? Now we see him on a commercial airline, American, first class because he's 6'7", reading... Without a mask on. While telling all of us we better get a mask on. So remember, John Kerry acts like he's holy than now. He knows everything, correct? So instead, we get him and he said, well, I left my mask off in just a few seconds. No, you didn't. He left it off for at least five minutes from the guy who took the picture. And it's not a matter of me wanting to do that or you wanting to do that. But when you're going to condemn everyone for not doing that, you better have your act together. American Airlines tweeted out, we require masks on board our aircraft and are looking into this. Meanwhile, John Kerry came back when this picture became national news. 
feels like there's some St. Patrick's Day malarkey afoot on Twitter. Let's be clear. If I drop my mask on one ear, it was momentarily. I wear my mask because it saves lives and stops the spread. Really? Don't think so. Remember, this is the same John Kerry that told you, shut down pipelines and make solar panels. Get out of the coal mines and learn to code. Cut 36. John Kerry in 2019 in Iceland when asked, why you want a private plane, Mr. Carbon Footprint? On that issue, pollution, I understand that you came here with a private jet. Uh, is that the, an environmental way to travel? If you offset your carbon, it's the only choice for somebody like me who is traveling the world to win this battle. Not Nice drive. Not buying it. Had it with John Kerry. Don't you think this was like PR gone bad? He thought, oh, look, I'm going to look like a man of the people flying commercial. And then this happened. It's, it's, you know what? It happens to people that are phonies. He's a phony. Next. Looks like if you're filing for taxes, you can now wait till May 15th. How's your husband feel about that? Ugh, he's, if it stays at, it's actually May 17th. If it stays to May 17th, he's okay with it. But he's like, if they push it to July again, that will be miserable. Because he's an accountant. Yep, CPA, right. so. Next. 21 states are now suing the Biden administration over canceling the Keystone XL pipeline. Uh, All these AGs from uh, Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Georgia, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Nebraska, North Dakota. uh, And you get the idea. They're all getting together because they shut down a pipeline cost so many jobs and there was no consultation and already was green lighted under President Obama. It made no sense. It was just Biden trying to do what Trump did, undo what Trump did. But is this going to have a shot? Do you know? It doesn't look. I don't. I, I want to find about the legal path. Yeah, just I'm not getting sure. the wrenches out again. I will look into it for you. Uh, meanwhile, next, California is considering a, the, considering uh, telling people not to shout when they go to amusement parks. When they actually open amusement parks up again, they're looking at the effects of shouting on rides at theme parks. Uh, meanwhile, I think Disney opens up next month. Uh, the plan includes facts about amusement parks that have built-in qualities that make optimal places for people to gather as state reopens. These characteristics include ability to provide physical distancing, a controlled environment, along with low-risk COVID-19 spread. They want a responsible reopening plan, so if you're going to scream uh, on a ride, they're telling you not to go on that ride. Correct. Actually, I got in trouble for that this summer. I went on a little roller coaster at the boardwalk, and when I got off, the teenager yelled at me for screaming. A teenager, a teenager yeah. I should not have done that. I was spreading COVID. Please tell me you told me to go jump in a lake. I, I was with my three-year-old, so I did not. <laughs> should be ashamed of himself, not you. Next, comedian Sebastian Meniscalco, re- willing, ready and willing to get back on stage and sell out arenas, was postulating on the possible downside to saying Happy St. Patrick's Day. I'm taking a big risk here. I don't even know if I could say this. This could jeopardize the whole the whole thing right right now but i can't stay stay silent any longer happy st patrick's day is that okay there's patrick did he do something did we dig up something on him what'd he do we okay with the color green is that all right someone get like hopped up if somebody takes out a green green crayon four leaf clover we all right with that leprechauns how about that so leprechauns gotta go right something wrong with him the, the, the green and the Brown beard, someone got a problem with leprechaun. Pot of gold? He shouldn't have a pot of gold because that's what, he's fortunate and he worked hard and he made money. So he's got to give his gold to everybody else. You tell me what I can and cannot say. Aren't you embarrassed? <laughs> that was awesome, isn't it? 
You found Sebastian. You told me all about him. He was great. Then you said actually you your friends took you to see him too, right? We saw him when he was still doing the smaller clubs on Governors. New Jersey, I went Long to Island. Governors on Long Island and we saw him. We sold out. You know what he did? He meets people at the door mm-hmm. and shakes their hand and Afterwards. thanks him for coming. I don't know if he does that anymore now that Can't he's at MSG. That I'm sure not, hard. especially now when we're uh, not supposed to talk to each other or that look each true. other in the eye. Next, big controversy on Fox and Friends. I don't know how to put this into words, but I thought I was in a safe zone when I named the color green that Ainsley was wearing royal green. Right? Ainsley's wearing or was I wearing? Neither. It was our Facebook Live. There were my pants. Oh, your pants were royal green. I called it a royal green, and then the big controversy, well, you'll hear it. Tomorrow's St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. And you're wearing, you gotta wear those green pants. Tomorrow. See, I'm working from home tomorrow, so that's why they had to be worn today. No one needs to see my green pants. Yeah, they do. There's Allison's green pants. (laughs) Brian's like, this has gone awry. I don't even know if, like, that would be acceptable. (laughs) They're, like, royal green, right? Isn't it, like, a Kelly green? There's no royal green. I think so. Is there is there royal green? No. Yes. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Even though Jaylene looked it up that day and the answer was no. But um, our Facebook follower, Robert Burke, looked it up and sent us a swatch of royal green. Nice. Next. Uh-oh. Oh. Uh, well, real quick, the Drew Barrymore show has been renewed for another year. I haven't met her, mm-hmm. uh, but she seems cool. She seems genuine. Right. Evidently, she was walking around New York City without shoes. And it was about 40 degrees. I don't know. That would be dirty. She grew up 19%. Uh, her audience grew 19% in total homes, 13% in the demo, 25 to 54. So let her do it again. She launched a pandemic. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, I'm Brian Kilmeade. We're heard. Uh, we're coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. We're going to be joined by uh, Congressman Darrell Issa soon. Uh, he is, of course, uh, in San Diego, back in Congress. I used to work out there. I remember when he was out there, and I was actually hosting events for Alex Spanos, who at one time owned the Chargers. Now the family does. And then at the bottom of the hour, Dr. Marty McCarry. Uh, Dr. Marty McCarry will be with us to tell us the latest on the, on the pandemic in that, uh, for the most part, over the last year, year or so, whatever Europe has first, we got second, usually two and a half weeks less. I don't think that's happening now. And I believe people are pointing us to the amount of immunity for people that have had it already and we're doing so well with the vaccine distribution. So we'll see because Italy's now locked down. France and uh, Germany's now locked down. Poland's now locked down. And now we're finding out that AstraZeneca, that vaccine, no longer being used for the time being because 37 people out of millions got blood clots. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The question to President Biden starts with, do you think the governor should resign or do you think there should be a review first? And the president said there should be a review. I agree with him on that. I'm not going to resign. Uh, That is uh, Congressman, excuse me, Governor Andrew Cuomo, not going to resign. We have a whistleblower that talks about what was actually happening when they made the stupid decision to put infected patients back in nursing homes where uh, over 15,000 would die. We also have Governor Cuomo showing up in the one bastion of support he still has, and that was in Upper New York, Harlem. 
Number two. Anybody making more than $400,000 will see a small to a significant tax increase. If you make less than $400,000, you won't see one single penny in additional federal tax. An agenda only a radical Democrat could love. Raising taxes, massive infrastructure spending, nationalizing elections, elimination of the filibuster. Why the Republicans must do everything to make sure these are dead on arrival. Number one. Well, given the, 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 the tremendous rise and surge of individuals coming to the border, wouldn't it be fair to call it a crisis? Because that's what your agents are calling it. Uh, I'm not spending any time on the language that we use. I am spending time on operational response to the situation at the border. Well, your, your response has been terrible and the language would help. It's only going to get worse. This is the true consensus view of the chaos at the border as illegals stream in and unoccupied migrants get to stay. How in the world is this our na- is this in our nation's best interest? Why can't this administration see the folly in the open borders philosophy? And we'll start there. I want to talk about recall with Gavin Newsom. Congressman Darrell Issa was very much behind the Gray Davis dissatisfaction that got us on a Schwarzenegger. Congressman, welcome back. Well, good to be back, Brian, and you're exactly right to compare the 2003 recall of Gray Davis with so many similarities now with the failed governor, uh, with Newsom letting the lights go out, Newsom uh, being a hypocrite on what he says versus what he does, and obviously now it has qualified subject to uh, the Democrats counting the more than two million ballot signatures. Right, uh, but here, here's the thing. He's blaming it on QAnon and Proud Boys. Are you kidding me? Two million in California representing that organization? What is that based on? It's based on the fact that in in California you can marginalize 40 percent of the voters by simply saying, I'm only appealing to the partisan Democrats. And that's what's happened in our deep blue state. Uh, Republicans control none of the power of government uh, at the statewide level and their super minorities, as we call them, in the Assembly and the Senate. So literally, you do not have to pay attention to Republicans and you can call them QAnon, you can call them white supremacists, you can call them extremists, and you do it with impunity if you're a Democrat. But right now, your whole state is still shut down, and yet the numbers in Florida not shut down are better. The indoor dining, the gyms, uh, the outdoor dining, the schools. I mean, but he says this was happening before the pandemic. He said yesterday, this is uh, the, the multiple times they tried to recall me, and he is worried about it. Is it true that dissatisfaction started before the pandemic? It is true that this uh, recall uh, began having its roots more than a year ago, and it did so for a valid reason. Uh, His Green New Deal, uh, his refusal to allow for any backup energy was already causing rolling blackouts. Uh, uh, Pacific Gas and Electric went into bankruptcy, and he saw no reason to have any legislative fix uh, for the fact that we, had, we the state, had driven through lawsuits our uh, util- public utilities into bankruptcy. So I want you to hear Lonnie Chen from the Hoover Institute, also in California. He had joined us this morning, and he was talking about what led to this. Because, on you know, 3,000 miles away, we're really not sure how the Wonder Kid became the, 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 the kid that nobody wanted any part of. Let's listen. Our governor's telling us to avoid public gatherings, and here he is uh, racking up a $12,000 wine bill with lobbyists sitting just a few feet apart from one another at a restaurant 
enjoying his life when other Californians really had to uh, had to go without these kinds of things, had to go without gatherings, had to go without getting together. But but it's really about more than that, Ainsley. It's about more than just that one dinner. It's about the fact that during this pandemic, our schools remain closed in many parts of California. We still don't have the ability in many parts of the state to do the normal kinds of things, to visit businesses, to eat out. And so those are the kinds of things I think that bother people really, is that the state hasn't made more progress during this time. So do Republicans have a shot here? They see, you know, Lani Chen goes on to say they haven't won a significant office in years. What do you think? Brian, we have an absolute good chance of recalling the governor. The question of whether he's replaced with a Republican or a Democrat is probably it's important to me as a Republican, but it's not important to the people of California. Right now, they have a failed leader. They would take anybody but him. And this is very similar to Gray Davis, where they almost voted in Cruz Bustamante, a, a rather lackluster uh, Democrat, instead of Arnold Schwarzenegger. But they overwhelmingly understood that Gray Davis had to go. We're even more convinced this time that that's exactly what has to happen. We need to get rid of this governor. And yes, it is possible it'll be a Republican, but it is more important that the people stand up and say we're not going to have a hypocrite and somebody that denies the people of California even the even the rights they have in other blue states. We have been the most locked down state you could name. Uh, and as you said, he, he locks you down in one part of the state and uh, and keeps his own uh, restaurants open up in Napa. That kind of hypocrisy has to go. So he did not shy away from blaming QAnon and Proud Boys, which is a joke, uh, uh, for what's happening in California, like they have a dominant presence and could organize anything. Uh, number two, I couldn't believe this, or I should have believed it, but uh, I, I, you know, anyone who goes against him is a racist, of course. Let's listen. This is the sixth effort, and I've only been in office 25 months. Just in 25 months, there's been six efforts to put a recall uh, on the ballot. This one appears to have the requisite signatures. This started before the pandemic. If you look at the list of grievances from the proponents of this campaign, it goes to our values. It's, It's less about me. It's more about California and our values, Democratic Party values, issues related to the browning of California, immigration. The browning of California, that's why they want him out? Well, there's not anyone much whiter than our governor, uh, <laughs> so it is interesting that he's pulling the race card. But you notice that he, he didn't say Democratic process. He said Democrats. He was talking about his own party, uh, an assault on his party. And that's the way they think is that we're in charge. We do everything. And the others should sit uh, uh, by the wayside. He had one point, and, and Brian, it's an important one. Uh, Yes, there were other earlier attempts to recall the governor. Ronald Reagan had a recall attempt. The the, every governor could have somebody circulating a petition, usually as a form of fundraising. But when it catches fire and two million people put their signatures on it, it means the governor has done something very, very wrong. And so I think he's conflating uh, the fact that yeah, there's a recall. Yeah, Congressman, you're breaking up a little bit, but I want want to – I hear you. Uh, Just so I try to get into a different area. But just as I do that, we talk so much about Texas and Arizona at the border and the complaints from New Mexico at the border. But we don't hear a lot from California uh, at the border. I'm wondering, 
you were the first one to start using a barrier, using some old grates in the Vietnam era to create a barrier, and the wall, the so-called wall worked. How are you guys dealing with this surge of illegal immigrants? Well, we're, we're equipped to deal with more than most, uh, but they are presented at our border more than any other single border uh, on a regular basis. Uh, what's interesting is they, uh, because of the success of our, our fence and wall system, uh, they have a stronger tendency instead of running across the Rio Grande, they, they show up and present themselves with a claim of asylum, uh, 94, 95%, uh, even though they have the right talking points, are caught lying. And, Brian, that's the most important thing is the vast majority of these people showing up in this crisis have been have been taught how to tell the lie in hopes that they'll be part of that five to 10 percent that get away with a lie that they, in fact, deserve asylum. So listen to this. Jen Psaki yesterday on why there's so many unaccompanied minors coming. Cut to. Is there a limit to the number of, of children that will be allowed in? I mean, the numbers we're hearing now, 565 on average every day. I, I'm just curious what the, what the end game is here, how many ultimately would be allowed in. When cu- kids come to the border, we look and see if they have a phone number in their pocket so we can call the family member and get them to those family members as quickly as possible. These are the steps uh, that we're taking at this point in time. Our policy continues to be we're not going to send a 10-year-old back across the border. That was the policy of the last administration. If you let a kid with a note in their pocket get into America, you can expect to have every kid from Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador uh, uh, knocking on your door tomorrow. Am I correct? Oh, Brian, you're not only correct, but the numbers are staggering. Of the 12-plus million people who are here illegally, you just have to figure there's 36 or 48 million children who are related to that aunt, that uncle, or that parent that, in fact, can be sent up now to become part of a successful, uh, massive changing uh, in our immigration policy without any laws being passed. Just uh, insane. And we cannot get inside these facilities we don't know. The pictures exist. They won't show it. I thought they were supposed to be transparent, Congressman. Well, I oversaw the Obama administration that claimed to be the most transparent administration in history, and it took subpoenas and whistleblowers to get any uh, sort of transparency. And, of course, this that was the that was the Obama-Biden administration, and they've learned to be even more opaque. And they're using the majorities in the House and the Senate to block any kind of oversight by Congress. But as you're saying, they're blocking the press. They're blocking the New York Times and the L.A. Times. They're blocking their own liberal friends because they don't want to be exposed to the fact that this is a crisis. I hear you, Congressman. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Keep up the good work, Brian. You got it. Congressman Darrell Issa out in California helping us out. Uh, Meanwhile, when we come back, your turn, 1-866-408-7669. Let's find out what's on your mind. We know what's going on with Governor Cuomo, the recall of uh, Gavin Newsom. We also know the chaos that's raging at the border is getting worse each and every day. And we also are looking at the agenda by President Joe Biden. Will he get rid of the filibuster? And that means whatever he says becomes law. There's no topic he won't touch. And there's no opinion he won't engage. One of the great joys of my life. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. 1-866-408-7669. I didn't really get heavily uh, into some other topics, and that is uh, what's going on with the agenda for Joe Biden. They're putting up two uh, they're putting up two immigration bills, and uh, they're just two liberal bills, and there's nothing to do with border security at all, and now there's no border security. You can't expect for these to pass. They're dead on arrival. Uh, and then you have Joe Biden coming out saying, I'm raising taxes. Raising taxes, and he got it wrong on how he's raising taxes. Listen to him. Cut 12. Anybody making more than $400,000 will see a small to a significant tax increase. If you make less than $400,000, you won't see one single penny in additional federal tax. Okay. The problem is, there's a big difference between one person making $400,000 and a couple or a family. Cut 13. On the president's interview, uh, he said on taxes that anybody making more than $400,000 will see a small to a significant tax increase. Uh... To clarify, did he mean individuals or households? Because it wasn't very clear. And Secretary Yellen, I think, has referred to households before. Families. Yeah, big difference. So you make 300000 and uh, your husband uh, makes uh, 100000 You're in. And they say minimal or a lot. Okay. Going to raise taxes. First time in 20 years of doing it significantly. Maybe you think it's great. Maybe you think it's going to hit somebody else. But if you look at also small businesses, how many people in small businesses maybe list that small business as an income, you'll see how they're going to get hit. With, 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 with President Trump's tax reform did, everyone was focused on the corporate tax rate, but it affected small businesses. It wasn't just major corporations. It was the smallest to the biggest. And all this stuff is just mounting up between the regulations, the pandemic, which is nobody's fault, regulations, which is, of course, going to be overdone. And now you're going to put uh, up everyone's taxes. Just a terrible combination to hurt the economy. But the economy is going to grow because we're coming out of uh, a long hibernation. And they'll say, look, our policies are working, but not nearly like it should. That's my that's my worry that he's going to get credit for the decrease in unemployment. And when our when our economy hits turbo speed, just because we can travel, just because we can eat out, just because we can go uh, use some of that excess spending to enhance our lives and commute again. Then they're going to say, look at what Joe Biden did for the economy. But if he continues to push his agenda after he got that one point nine trillion, people are going to say, well, you can't west with success. It's all circumstantial. But what they're thinking about doing is getting rid of the filibuster, which is stunning because it wasn't too long ago where from Dick Durbin to Chuck Schumer to Joe Biden himself to Amy Klobuchar, they were pushing Trump to no one even try it, writing letters to Mitch McConnell, begging him not to do it when they were in the majority. Cut 14. What about that nuclear option doing away with the filibuster? Well, I can tell you that would be the end of the Senate as it was originally uh, devised and created going back to our founding fathers. The point is we still left the 60 votes in place right. for the Supreme Court. Bring it back? And yeah. Mitch McConnell changed that. I would prefer to bring it back. Without the 60-vote threshold for legislation, the Senate becomes a majoritarian institution like the House, much more subject to the winds of short-term electoral change. No senator would like to see this happen. No Democratic senator then. Now everyone except Joe Manchin stands in the way. And they can start passing resolutions and saying, well, just for fiscal reasons, right now you could do simple majority. Then they'll say, what, what about racial reasons like the Voting Act? That's what Jim Clyburn has brought up. Have a mulligan 
for the filibuster, put a simple vote to it, and decide if you can get rid of it for certain things that they say are in the national interest. And they look at the voting rights, and H.R. 1 is something that's racial, uh, racial on its face, which it's not. When we come back inside the pandemic affecting all of our lives, why is America doing so much better than so many other countries around the world when we struggled so much early? This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Dr. Marty McCarry is next. And then we end up with your phone calls. Don't move. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. There's this new study from researchers in Massachusetts just out this week. It found no significant difference in coronavirus spreading in schools where there was six feet of distancing versus three feet of distancing. But that six foot requirement, that's one of the main hurdles to reopening schools. Right. Does this study suggest to you that three feet is good enough? It does indeed. And right there, I fell off my chair. Dr. Marty McCarry joins us now, Fox News contributor, surgeon, and a professor of health policy at Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. Dr. McCarry, do you think that if I had that announcement, I should wait for it to come up in an interview? Or should I call a press conference with that? Because it is so significant to handling this pandemic. Well, it's consistent with a total lack of leadership that we've seen on the medical side by Dr. Fauci. This is a complete failure of medical leadership. He was late on the pandemic, late on masks, late on testing, late on schools. And so this is an American travesty. And I think if if they don't change the way they're handling the schools thing, they're going to lose the midterm elections because people are angry. And it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or Democrat. People see that there's the science and what's happening behind the scenes is the unions are driving an agenda. You know, I spent last Friday in the Catholic school, and I was meeting with all the officials saying, why did you guys open? How did you do it? He said, we had no choice. And do you know that in places where there were Catholic schools, public schools were more likely to open up because of competition? But when you're the only game in town, it seems like kids matter last. And in reality, doctor, you're not putting kids in jeopardy in order to learn math. It's actually safer in schools. (laughs) The incidence of infection is... 15 per 100,000 in schools and 27 per 100,000 outside of schools. So you're exactly right. Same thing that we've seen with pilots. They have lower rates of infection than the general public. Why? Because they're wearing masks and they're being careful and they've got good ventilation. So this is just an American tragedy. It's so frustrating, Brian, to see it. Just as a medical professional, we rarely see broad medical consensus as we do around this issue. And so I'm kind of sick of talking about it because the studies are overwhelming how safe it is. And it's purely now a political issue, not a medical issue. I haven't checked today, but they said they're about ready to change the six feet to three feet. Have they officially? No, they haven't. And that's a big deal because you can pack in double the number of kids when you use a reasonable three foot distance. You know, I almost vomited when I heard the CDC director get interviewed by the Journal of the American Medical Association, because she said, I knew when I went to bed at night after the guidelines came out that they were science-based. 
This stuff is purely discretionary, and what they did is inappropriately imposed adult standards of six feet to kids. Now, look, you, you can choose 50 feet if you want, but at a certain threshold, there's no decreased risk, right? The risk pl reduction plateaus. So it's something that needs to be incorporated and has not been incorporated yet. You know, the game of this school issue, if you haven't seen it already, is you say you want schools open and you stall. If you drag your feet long enough, you've essentially won the argument. And we've seen stalling after stalling, and it comes in the form of, say, Biden saying, after he meets with the teachers' unions, we want another report from the CDC, even though there was a report issued in September on how to do it safely. If you drag your feet long enough, you've won the game. It's unbelievable, and kids matter last and matter least. So as we look at the numbers now, I think there's uh, 13 states where, where the numbers have ticked up in cases, uh, about 13 percent. Does that worry you? No, because, well, first of all, any infection is a concern, and, and um, that's something we track. But here's what's happening, Brian. We're testing like crazy. New York especially, they're testing every kid before every single basketball practice in some areas. So we're testing more. That's good, though, right? We should be testing yeah. a lot. But what we're doing is we're detecting more. And we know there's a variant out there that's a little more contagious. But do you know what? The people getting infected with the variant are non-immunized people. Nobody getting infected is somebody who has been immunized. The immunizations, the vaccines are 100% effective against the variants. They're essentially perfect against the variants. So we're going to see cases linger. And this is the argument, Brian, we're about to watch in the United States. It's going to take center stage next month. Deaths are way down. Hospitalizations are way down. By the way, hospitalizations are way down in in the New York area, where you're seeing the uptick in cases there. Okay, so the, what the, the real outcomes of death and hospitalizations are way down, but you're going to see cases linger. We, I expect that. That's going to happen in late May. It's going to happen in late April through May, maybe even a little bit in June. Those are young people. Okay, that is not a major public health threat that could surge on a whim like people are, are scaring the public about. These are young people and they were last to get vaccinated. That's why those cases are there, and they tend to be asymptomatic or mild. Dr. McCarry, we, we hear uh, in Europe, and they're usually two weeks ahead of us, but now experts like you are saying, not this time. Uh, they are locking no, down again. Uh, optimism is spreading here, but not there. Uh, it turns out in Europe, they're having problems. In Poland, the rate of COVID-19 cases has doubled since February. Italy has closed most of its classrooms at the beginning of the week and expanded those areas for restaurants and cafes to take out and delivery only. In France, officials impose weekend, weekend lockdowns around the French Riviera and the uh, English Channel. And we'll add something else to this, and, uh, and that is AstraZeneca the vaccine they were using, they shut it down. They paused it because 37 people uh, got blood clots. First off, why is this happening over there? Well, they have a largely unvaccinated population, and people are getting pent up with uh, giddy, and they're dying to get out there. And so you're seeing more activity, more mobility at a time when they still have a lot of vulnerability. So when you, have, when you do so poorly on the vaccine rollout, that's what you're going to see. And so we've seen that. They put all their eggs in one basket with the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine. Now there's some hesitation about it, although I believe unfounded. 
We don't even know if those rates of clots are any higher than the general public because that stuff happens normally anyway in non-vaccinated people. And the European Medications Agency, which is their FDA, has said, look, we stand behind it. This, this is still approved and should be used. It's individual countries that are taking this position, I, I think, a little bit unauthorized. Well, I mean, but you're seeing a lot of. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You're seeing a lot of fear in what's going on in interpreting the events in Europe. They are certainly seeing more cases, but we're a totally different situation. We used to lag behind. What happened in Europe used to be a preview of what happens in the U.S., but now it's flipped. We have a population now where most high-risk Americans have been immunized. It's pretty amazing. You walk around Connecticut, you walk around New Mexico, Alaska, one in three adults on the street have been vaccinated. Maybe another 30 to 40 percent have natural immunity. We are hitting herd immunity slowly right now. We've hit it for healthcare workers. North Dakota is probably there right now. When you have zero deaths, as 10 states have had days with zero deaths in the last week, is the, are we still in a health emergency? In my opinion, no. We, uh, we're getting uh, widespread reports that the vaccinations are picking up and they're going to be, uh, be available. I get this a lot as if I'm an expert, but I talk to experts like you all the time. Can I choose? Can I choose which one to get? And if I was to choose, which one should I take? Number one, what would you choose? Have you gotten it? And can we? Um, first of all, you can always choose. We live in a free country, okay? We don't live in North Korea. You can choose. At the same time, I, don't, I wouldn't choose because they're all super effective. And, I mean, we're talking 99-plus percent effective in preventing death and hospitalizations. I would ignore the other numbers and just focus on those and get whichever one you can because time is of essence, right? It's still circulating, and at least for the next month, we're going to see uh, some risk out there. So I'd get whichever one you can. Is this something we got to do every year? I don't think so. Um, there are three coronaviruses in human history that have caused serious illness, now, separate from the common cold coronaviruses. The ones that have caused serious illnesses – this is one of the three. The other two have given long-term immunity. This is before the era of vaccines. SARS and MERS, have, you've, we've seen long-term immunity as long as 17 years out from SARS. So I don't think we'll be back every year. We'll have to see what the variants do. If there's a variant that could partially evade immunity, then we're going to re recommend a vaccine for that. Do you know, Brian, by the way, I don't think this has really been covered that Moderna already developed a vaccine specific to new variants, and they, they shipped it to the NIH. I mean, we're doing really well. That. That's amazing. So what about when – I don't – maybe this is more the business side. But, you know, the Europe's complaining that, hey, we went into a partnership with America. Why did they have all the vaccines? What do you say to them? Well, it was developed in the United States, and we see this all the time. With medications at times of health emergencies, you have to have domestic production of medications. Let me give you an example. Regeneron that made the antibody therapy, they've got two plants to make the antibody therapy, one in um, the United States and one in Europe. Guess where they chose to make it? In the United States because they're well aware that when there's, you know, push comes to shove, they might not be able to secure that ship coming back. So, um, this is a game that we've seen, and if you remember, uh, a lot of the pharma companies delayed the announcement 
of the successful phase three Pfizer vaccine and the antibody therapies until after the election, curiously, like, you know, days after the election, even though based on the numbers, we knew they had that data before the election. Why? Because President Trump called for the domestication of pharmaceutical manufacturing, and they hated that. It's one of the reasons. So this is a longstanding battle that we have about the importance of the domestication of pharma manufacturing. I did not know that. Uh, that's unbelievable, and that is in our best interest. May it be cheaper to make it other places, but what about us? And uh, lastly, I'm seeing these studies this week that they're starting to test this vaccine on six months old uh, young kids. They're starting to put them into a focus uh, into a control group. Should we be doing this to kids? I mean, would would that be something that you would support? You know, it's a tough one, right, because it'd be good to see the data, and it does appear that this, these vaccines are all impeccably safe. We don't want kids to get this inflammatory response syndrome. You know, what I've been talking to Dr. Sapphire about is that it appears that we can figure out which kids are at risk. If you're a healthy kid with no chronic conditions, it's so rare that to die of COVID, you're, you, there's a handful of reports in the United States, less than five. If you have risk factors, maybe those are the kids we vaccinate. We'll see. But I can tell you this. When Dr. Fauci floats that we may have to vaccinate kids in order to reach herd immunity, his logic is flawed because he is completely dismissive of natural immunity from prior infection. Therefore, the Dr. Fauci path to herd immunity is a path that is only achieved through vaccinations. And that's why he puts the time frame out in the second half of the year. That's why he advises Biden that 4th of July might not be safe. And so that's the change in philosophy. That's why he says we may have to immunize kids to get to that magical 70 to 85 percent. And that's where his logic is flawed. California just put out a study. Thirty eight percent of their population had natural immunity a month ago. Now it's upwards of 40 to 50 percent, most likely. Dr. Fauci dismisses that data, and that's why you're seeing different timelines being discussed right now. Understand, and uh, here is Dr. Fauci on this very issue. For high school students, it looks like they will be available to get vaccinated in the beginning of the fall, very likely for the fall term. With regard to children, we're doing an an age de-escalation study in elementary school children from 12 to 9, 9 to 6, six to two, and two mo- six months to two years. We anticipate we'll have enough data to be able to vaccinate these younger children by the first quarter of 2022. Uh, and I guess would be, would you do it as a parent? Not yet. I, the way he talks about it, like, you know, line up for the shot that we haven't even studied yet, and you have to do this. I mean, older teenagers, they, they're physiologically like adults. Once you get below 12, let's just wait and see what the data shows instead of jumping the gun. And how about talking about natural immunity instead of getting everybody lined up for you know, shots when they're kids? We'll see. We'll see. I don't want to jump the gun. There's a big anti-vax movement in the United States, and it's hurting us a little bit now with adult COVID vaccines. We'll see. If it, the data's not there, I'll tell, let you know not to get it unless the kid's high risk. You got it. And as soon as I'm eligible, I'm getting it. Uh, Dr. Marty McCari, always appreciate you. Good to be with you, Brian. one 408 7669 I see the calls there. I'll get to you, I promise.
Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Just quick announcement. I'm going to be with Dana Perino Saturday, especially if you listen on WOKV and WDBO in Florida. Our number one bestseller on Amazon, Everything Will Be Okay. VIP tickets, floridatheater.com. I'm just going to interview her. Great book, great advice for people. Also give you insights on Fox and President Bush and working in the White House and and everything else. So floridatheater.com for tickets. There are a few left, but it's going to be a great event. Uh, Joe Bina, you are in Arizona. What's on your mind? Hi, good morning, Brian. Uh, my husband and I listen to you every morning. Thank you. Uh, and this morning, uh, you're welcome. And this morning, uh, you had mentioned something about children coming over the border with phone numbers in their pockets yep. uh, and such. Um, our concern is um, how do we know these children aren't being sold? How do we know that um, the cartel, you know, they stoop so low, um, they're so uh, disgusting, um, that prior to them coming over, they've contacted people here and they've bought these children um, and they're being put into slavery or whatever they wish to do. Is it being investigated on where these children Not are Not that I know going? of. Have you felt the illegal immigration uh, where you are at in Arizona? Uh, no, not particularly yet. Um, we, you know, we we work at a job uh, where we are on a uh, we take care of uh, uh, animals, uh, and um, so we don't leave the property very often. Gotcha. Um, so we just listen to the news. Uh, the newspapers forget. We listen to you guys <laughs> uh, to get our information, and um, so it's very difficult for us to see exactly what's going on. Uh, but um, this is very concerning with the children. Uh, so many are coming in, and it just with gotcha. these phone numbers and things. It's just uh, are they being investigated on where they're actually? Going? No, um, we're not getting that at all. They're overwhelmed right now, and they will not be transparent. Ted, listen on WABC in New Jersey. Ted, look, uh, one thing that's been missing uh, uh, on this border crisis is is these children. As they go as they go into the U.S., they put strains on uh, services to the poor in other areas, even to the point where last uh, in 2014, with the wave that came through of young people, class sizes in Hudson County, New Jersey, went up by a third in the schools. And think about this: most of them don't speak English, so now you got additional resources towards that, and not towards your kids. Makes right. no sense. The teachers' union loves it. Why? They have to order more teachers? Exactly. Thanks so much, Ted. Appreciate it. Hey, uh, thanks so much for listening to the show. I want you to keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. If you want to get the podcast, com at any time. And if you want to order any of my books, Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers, down, down, com. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.